Welcome. Um, today we're going to learn Pasha's Bay. But before we start, I would just like to uh, mention something. Um, the last couple of weeks I gave my email, Yaakov Yosef Reimann at Gmail, and I've had quite a bit of response. People have written from, uh, from Yishalayim, from London, from New York, and, and um, I could see that they're like, uh, you know, very involved in it. They, uh, they have, uh, they could say with this Vart, you could answer another question, or they build on it, or they have different solutions. And this like, is like, um, there's like an active learning going on, which is really what I'm trying to do. So I just want to mention a couple of, of emails that I got. So the first one I want to I want to mention uh, has to do with what we spoke about uh, about Basia's arm, whether um, it really got longer or if it was only figurative or literal. So uh, Matsyo Chaim Lawrence from London sent me this quote from uh, Rabbi Yerucham Levavas, the legendary Mashgiach of the Mir, uh, in Das Torah Shmois. Amut kuf ches. That's where it is. Das Torah Shmois kuf ches. Hine matzinu Amram al pasuk v'tishlach zamosa v'tikachel nishtarvva amosa ames harbe. So we see uh, this is the Rashi that we mentioned. So he says like this. Hine roiv gasuseinu onu makshimem es hadover because of our great um, gasuseinu is. Um, um, Grobkeit, I mean Yiddish is Grobkeit, a lack of Edelkeit. In other words, not the uh, the insensitivity, the nuance. In a Soberoiv Gassaseinu, because of our Gassas, whatever it means by that, Onu Makshimim Asadover, we take it literally. It seems to us that this actually would happen. That her arm got longer and it went until the place where the Teva was, out in the river. It's a mistake. It wasn't nice, he's saying, that I guess the nice was that, that she had this thought and that she went out there to get the Teva, which was really out of her comfort zone, and it was a nest that she wanted to do this. It's even a nest nigla. Even a nest like this works through Dakiya Teva, and to think that her arm extended, you know, for hundreds of Amas or whatever, or however long it was, he says that is a mistake. And that's not what it means. Okay, that's all. I just wanted to mention this. Uh, others could say differently. Could be. Just wanted to say that on this. We spoke in general how to look at Chazal if it's uh, if it's always literal or sometimes it's not literal. But uh, but this is specifically for this question of Basia's arm. So this is from Rabbi Rucham. Okay, one more thing. Um, this is from Yaakov Feingold. He didn't tell me where he was. So this has to do with what we spoke about Vayechi, that I suggested that Yosef, when, when, when Ephraim and Menashe uh, became Shvotim, then Yosef was demoted and he was no longer a Shevet. This is what it seemed to me from the Psukim, and that's why Yaakov felt obligated to uh, justify himself. So he sent me from the Kedusha Slavi, he says, Ki Yosef, Einu Bashvatim Kmoish Arachav, 
that the Badich was saying that he was not like the Shvatim. Menashe Ephraim heim the Kroyim Shvatim b'mekaymoi. Ephraim and Menashe became Shvatim in the place of Yosef. For Yosef and Tzadik Nikrim Ovis Lebanov. And he brings from Targum, he's from Daik and Targum. Prishon Achoyish Einoi Nikra B'Shvatim K'moyish Ma'ashar Echov. Bonov heim the Kroyim Shvatim b'mekaymoi. Ephraim and Menashe are Shvatim. Okay. This is what I wanted to mention. Okay, these are Makairas, and I appreciate them. Uh, okay, now, one more thing uh, is that um, everyone wonders why, why Moshe told them we're going to go out for three days into the desert and we're going to shecht for Hashem. Like, why is he saying this? You know, he wants to leave. He doesn't want to come back. So why is he saying this? And the truth is that you'll notice that he never said he'll come back. He said, we're just going to go out three days into the desert. So why is he saying this? So I just want to give, I think, as a Pashta answer that you see in, in Pasha Shemais, he says, Neil Chanoder Shlosh Midbar, we want to go to Shech three days in Midbar. Maybe we will be uh, wounded or struck by Dever or by, by a sword. So Rashi says, He wasn't talking about that if you don't, if you don't let us go, then we're going to get hurt. That's not what he meant. He meant you're going to get hurt. But, he spoke to, uh, to Paroi, he didn't want to tell him, if you don't let us go, you're going to get hurt. So he said that we're going to get hurt, but it was just a, a very diplomatic way of saying, you better do this or you're going to get hurt. That's what Rashi says in Pasha's voice. Rashi also says this um, here in Pasha's boy, when he warns him about the mark of B'chayrus, says, They're all going to come, all your servants are going to come to me, and they're going to want us to leave. So Rashi says, He was just being diplomatic. Pari himself came. But he didn't say that Pari is going to come. He said, your Avodim are going to come. It was like a, a euphemism. He was saying that uh, you're going to come, but I'm saying your servants are going to come. So I think also that, that when he says we're going to go three days into the desert, he's just speaking euphemistically. He's being diplomatic. He's a covered malchus. He doesn't want to tell Paroi, listen, you know, you have to send away your slaves, and that's it. That would maybe not be such covered malchus. So he says, you know, give us, let us go out for three days, and we'll shecht, and... and Pari understood what he meant, and he meant what he meant. He never started coming back. It was just a diplomatic way of saying it. You see, Kaseda is Cholokovodomachas. Even though Pari was such a Russia and such a... But still, still, he was a Melech Cholokovodomachas. Okay. Now, when Moshe says like this, by Chatzor, it's going to be the Makas Bechiris, from Paray's Bechor, who was uh, sitting on the throne, Ad the Bechor of, of a slave woman, 
who's working on a millstone, they're pushing the millstone around and around, which this is a lowly b'chayr. So from the prince is going to get killed all the way down to the, to the firstborn of a shivcha, who's working by the millstone and, and pushing it around and around. That's what it says here. However, when the Makkah actually takes place, it says, He killed all the B'chayrim. Till the B'chayr who was sitting in prison. So here it says the B'chayr HaShivcha, and here it says B'chayr HaShvi. So it seems to be a contradiction. So the Mepharshim take note of this, and Rabbeinu Bechayo, or Bachio, if you want to say, so Rabbeinu Bechayo says that it's really the same person, that the Bechayr HaShivcha, during the day, he was working by the Rechayim. At night, he was wor- he went, he went, he, he was in a, a prison cell. So, so when when he told him the warning, that was during the day. So it says, Bechayr HaShivcha. At night, he was he was in the prison. So it says, Bechayr Shvi. Okay, this is how he learns. But Rashi says like this. Rashi says, Bechayr Shvi. The Bechayr Shivcha is included in the Bechayr Shvi. Why? He started from the greater ones to the lower ones. Bechayr Shivcha is more chashiv than Bechayr Shvi. So when he says that Bechayr Shvi, Bechayr Shivcha is also included. So Bechayr Shvi and Bechayr Shivcha obviously not the same person. And the Bechayr Shivcha is a higher, a higher class. I mean, not the same. The lowest class is the Bechayr Shvi, the, the, the you know the one who's in prison. That's the lowest class. So you start from Paroi until the Bechayr Shvi. So what happened before? Why wasn't the Bechayr Shvi mentioned before? If it's not the same person, so and and Shvi is lower than Bechayr Shivcha. So why wasn't he mentioned before? So. Why is why was the Bechayr Shivcha killed? What, what, why was he responsible? So Rashi says, The Bechayr Shivcha also used to work with the not only the you know the uh, the, the other people the, the higher classes of society, but even the Bechayr Shivcha also used to uh, you know oppress and exploit and persecute the Yidden. and they were happy. Why they were happy that they were that they were suffering, so why does Rashi say that they were happy? So could be that since they were avodim the bchara shivcha, so maybe that's what they were required to do. You know they had no choice; they had to do this because that's what they were told to do. So then they wouldn't have been punished for that just because they were working with them. So that would not be enough. But since and they were happy about what they were doing, that's why they were punished for being Meshabed in the Eden and forcing them to work. That's what, the, that's what Rashi says here. Now you look later, Bechayr Shvi. why is the Bechayr Shvi get killed? Because they were happy that the Eden was suffering. But they weren't working with them. They didn't work with them. They were just happy. So, the Bechayr Shivcha is, uh, 
um, because they were happy. They worked with them and they were happy about it. Bechor Shvi is just because they were happy. That's all. So, I, but they didn't work with them. So why did they get? Uh, why did they get punished? They didn't do anything. They were prisoners. They didn't do anything. So I want to say like this: that that they were in prison and they weren't doing anything, but they knew what was going on and they were happy about it. So just by being happy about it, they they are attaching themselves to the Egyptian oppressors of the Eden, and therefore they have to share their fate. They, you know, they they they, they didn't do anything in sitting there, but they know that the, the, the Eden are being forced to work and backbreaking work and they're suffering, and they're happy about it. So therefore, that means that they are like they're the part of the team. They want. They're rooting, you know. They're with them. They're with them. So, man, if you're with them, so when they get killed, you get killed too. However, let's say today they're happy, and tomorrow they're not happy. They change their mind. They're not happy anymore. So when they change their mind, they're off the team because they didn't do anything. They're only on the team because they were happy about it. So as long as they're happy about it, they're on the team. But once they're not happy about it anymore, they're not on the team. So everything goes by the way, the way they feel. So what goes by how they feel at the time of the Makkah. At the time of the Makkah, let's say they were happy about it the last week and yesterday, but when the Makkah happened, they were no longer happy about it. They did tshuva and they, they said, no, it's, a, it's, it's an injustice, you shouldn't be doing this to the Eden. At that point, if they're not happy, then they're not mishabbat to, to, to the Egyptians, and then they don't deserve to die. The, the Bechayra Shevcha deserves to die because of what they did. And what they did, they, they, they forced them to work and they were happy about it. They deserved to die. It doesn't matter what they feel at the time of the Makkah's Bechayras. They did it, they deserve, for that they deserve to die. The Bechayra Shevi did nothing. He only deserves to die because, because he's, he's like a, you know, he's mishaber to the Egyptians because he's happy with what they're doing. Then it depends at the point of the Makkah. Were you happy at that point or not? If you were happy at that point, then you deserve to die. If at that point you're not happy anymore, at that point you said, no, 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 it's no good, I'm against it, I'm against it, and you never did anything, so then you don't deserve to die. So when the Makkah was given, he said, he couldn't say, because we don't know what is going to be the attitude of when the Makkah comes. Will he be happy at that moment? Will he not be happy? We don't know. So you can't tell him that the Bukhara Shvi is going to die. It's not determined yet. Maybe he will die, maybe it won't die. It depends on, on what, he, what, what his attitude is at the time that the Makkah comes. So you can't say that. But when the Makkah came and the Bukhara Shvi was happy, then the Bukhara Shvi also was killed. So that's how I want to resolve these two psukim according to Rashi. Okay, now, at the end of the parsha, Vigato Lubincha Bihemahulaimar. So this is the mitzvah of Sipurinsias Mitzrayim. Vigato Lubincha Bihemulaimar. See so this is the mitzvah that then Lail Sayda with Mikhaim on uh Magid. Magid is with Mikhaim the mitzvah of Vigato Lubincha, and we're telling the story of Sias Mitzrayim, and that's where Mikhaim is. So I want to. Magid starts with a preamble. 
A very puzzling preamble. We come home from shul. We make kiddush. We set up the kara. If we lock the door, first of all, make sure it's locked, double bolted, put on the chain, lock the door, set up the kara, make kiddush, and now we do we do um, we do yachatz, we do ruchatz, karpas yachatz, we break the matzah. And now starts Magid, and we take the Prusa, and we say, Ho lachma anyo diacholav astonu ba'ar de Mitzrayim. This is the bread of our affliction that our, that our ancestors ate in Mitzrayim. Kol dechfin yeisi v'yechol. I want to take it one at a time, just read the whole thing. Kol dechfin yeisi v'yechol. Whoever is hungry should come and eat. Kol dechfin yeisi v'yivsach. Whoever needs should come and Share in the Pesach, I guess. Hashat HaHocha, now we're here. L'shon Abob, Ardi Yisrael. Now we're here, next year we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. Hashat Avdi L'shon Abob, Bnei Chayim. Now we're Avodim, next year we'll be Bnei Chayim. We'll be free. So let's start with this, the first thing. Kol Dechven Yeisav Yechel. Whoever's hungry should come and eat. I mean, what kind of an invitation is this? You came home, you locked the door, you made Kiddush, you started the Seder, and now you're inviting people? Whom are you inviting? You're inviting your children? I mean, whom are you inviting to the, to the Seder? What does that mean? What's the next thing we say? Whoever needs should come what, and share in the Korban Pesach. That's not true. Korban Pesach could only be eaten by people you have to sign up for a chabura before the shechitim during the day. You have to sign up and then you can eat it. You can't invite somebody to eat from the carbon Pesach. It's not allowed to. So what is called the Tzrich Yisav Yivsach? Mepharshim talk about this thing. Called the Tzrich Yisav Yivsach. Then we say, Hoshata Hocha, L'shona Abba Ba'ad Yisrael. Now we're here. Next year we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. This is not our Nusach. What do we say? We say, Lishona Habo Birushalayim. That's the Nusach that we say. We talk about, we're looking forward to the future. Lishona Habo Birushalayim. At the end of the Seder, we say, Lishona Habo Birushalayim. What kind of a language is Lishona Habo Ba'ard Yisrael? Next year, we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. Where do we ever find such a language? We never find such a language. Lishona Habo Ba'ard Yisrael. Why are they saying Lishona Habo Ba'ard Yisrael? Say, Lishona Habo Birushalayim. And then you say, Hoshata Avdi, Lashon Abob Nechayim. Now we're Avodim. Next year, we're going to be free. We're not slaves. I mean, we are oppressed, we're persecuted, we're murdered, we're exiled. exiled. I mean, we have a difficult time, true. But we're not Avodim as a nation. After Mitzrayim, we were never enslaved as a nation. Even like, uh, I mean, the Romans took some people and enslaved them, sold them into slavery. But Kali Yisrael as a nation was, was, was never enslaved anymore after, after Mitzrayim. When, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar took us, we were exiled. We were exiled. We were not slaves. We lived in Bavel. When, when, when are we slaves? Are we slaves? Why are we saying, it could mean in the figurative sense, maybe Avdi, we're not really, but it's, but Lamaise, we're not Avodim. 
We're not avodim. Next year we're going to be free. We are free. I mean, uh, we suffer in our freedom, but we are free. And then, final question. We say this, this preamble, this paragraph, we say it in Aramaic. Why do we say it in Aramaic? Because we don't want the Malachim to understand it. Why do we say it in Aramaic? The entire Agodah we say in Lashon Kaidish. This is the only paragraph in the entire Agodah that we say in Aramaic. Why do we say this in Aramaic? So I'd like to suggest um, what, this, what this is about. Now, I, I, was, I was born after the Holocaust. But when I was growing up, the Holocaust was very real to me. First of all, my father's whole family was killed in the Holocaust. And, and as I was growing up, I met people that had been there, that had been in Auschwitz, that had been refugees, that was starving or in Siberia. I, I met people that, that, that had suffered through the Holocaust. So the Holocaust is very real to me. But let's imagine for a moment, I mean, it's happening already today, but let's push it into the future. Let's say a hundred years from now, somebody wants to tell his children that, you know, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather from 150 years ago or 200 years ago, he was in Auschwitz and he survived, he survived Auschwitz. And tell them how they suffered, and the children are listening to the story about their ancestor from uh, a couple of hundred years ago, and they're listening, and they don't relate to it. They don't connect to it. It's not, they don't, there's no emotional connection to this. But let's say that this father has in his attic um, the pajamas that his ancestor wore in Auschwitz. And he says, you know what, wait a minute. And he goes up to the attic and he brings down the, these pajamas and he shows them the striped pajamas. This is what he wore when he was in Auschwitz. And it's, you see it's like blood-stained and sweat-stained and, and ragged. And they look at this and then the, the, the ancestor that he's talking about comes to life. He's a real person. This is what he wore. He's a real person. You know, when I was in, I was in London once, and I visited my cousin of Khuna Halpern, of whose mother, my grandmother, was sisters, and he tells me that, that, that he had a becher. And he says, this becher belonged to Rabbi Eprim Mishlana. And he says, you want that? I said, I'll make a bracha on it. So he gave me some orange juice in the becher, and I made a bracha, and I drank from it. I managed, like, I never felt, like, so connected to Rabbi Primashlana. I was drinking from the cup that he himself, that his holy mouth drank from it. And it's like, it, it's, you know, I knew about Rabbi of course, but he became very real to me. This is, he held his cup in his hands. That's, a, an artifact has the ability to bring something to life, to bring a person to life. So if you had, if this father had the artifact of the pajamas that this ancestor wore in Auschwitz, and he was able to show this to the children, that this is what their ancestor wore on his body, and this is his blood stains, 
and this is his sweat stains, and the, the, the person becomes a real person, and this is their grandfather, so they would have an emotional connection to this person. And then when the father tells them about the suffering that this person went through, then they will feel, they will feel the sympathy, and they'll, feel the, the, they'll share the pain, and they will cry maybe, but this, was, this, is, this is all accomplished with an artifact. Without an artifact, it's very difficult to accomplish something like this. Now, when we're talking about the Gula from Mitzrayim, we also have to understand that, that it was a tr terrible human tragedy that our ancestors went through in Mitzrayim. And to appreciate the Gula, we have to appreciate the Shibud. We have to appreciate the suffering, and we have to we have to somehow connect to these people and not just like some abstract ancestors that lived a few thousand years ago and like where, where's the connection how do we how do we share their pain how do we share their pain they're not real to us they're just like you know but like how do we make them real how do we make them how do we bring them to life so we don't have any artifact we don't have the clothing that they wore. But we have a facsimile of their distinctive food. This prusa, this piece of matzah, this is the lechem of Avdus. It's not the lechem, this lachma anya, this is what Farshim will say, is the lechem of Avdus. This is not the matzah that they carried from when they, they didn't have a chance to bake their bread. This is the matzah that when they worked and they had a break, in the work, to be able to eat something, this is what they ate. They had a piece of broken matzah, and this is what they ate. So we have, we don't have an artifact, we have a facsimile of an artifact, which is the next best thing. So you take a look at this matzah, you don't see such a mess normally. This matzah is the matzah that our grandfathers ate when they were in Mitzrayim. And the rest of the paragraph is in quotations. The system of the Gemara, the system is the system of, of Shas of Liver Chazal is not like we have like in you know, he said comma open quotations that no, the Gemara goes straight into it. The Gemara gives you the system and you have to understand that this is being a this is a quotation. It doesn't always say Omar Kane. It sometimes it just tells you what tells you the thing and tells you the quotation. So this is the rest of the paragraph is a quotation. So now we have, we have our, our ancestor, and we have a facsimile of his food, and now we're going to tell you what he was like. What was he like? He was, he was working hard, he had a break, he had only this little piece of matzah, and what did he do? What did he say? He said, whoever is hungry could come and share this piece of matzah with me. No matter, even though they were avodim, and they were, they, were, they were oppressed, and they were beaten, but he was still generous to each other. They still said, I have a piece of matzah. If you're hungry, I'm willing to share my poor lachma anya. I'm willing to share this with you. If you're hungry, come, I'll give you some of it. Rashi says in, in Boy that, that what does the word Pesach mean? Pesach in, 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 in Aramish is Loshem Pesiyo, a step. So called it Srich Yesavsach. Whoever needs something could step in here and I will be there to help you no matter what you need. This is the Avodim. 
This is the beaten avodim. He's saying, I'm willing to share my, my, my morsel with you. I, whatever you need, I'm willing to help you. L'shona haba ba'arudi Yisrael. They had hope. But what was their hope? They could go to Yerushalayim. There was no Yerushalayim. We're quoting them. We're quoting them what they said. They said, next year we'll come back to the land of the Eden. We'll go back to Canaan, where we came from. We're going to go back to the land of Eden. We won't be here in this land of the Egyptians. Now we're Avodim. They were Avodim. Next year we will be free. So now we've painted an image of this of, of this ancestor for the children, for the people who are sitting by the Seder. We've told them this is the facsimile of their food. This is what they were. They were generous and they were helpful and they never lost hope. And even though they were oppressed, they still had hope that one day they would be free. This is what the what Allah does. Now this is what this is how we start the Seder. Bring the bring our ancestors to life. When you bring them to life, then you could appreciate the Shibud, and then you could appreciate the Geula. If you don't bring them to life, then it's just, it's all abstract, it's all theoretical. It's not something to which we can relate at an emotional level, which we can really appreciate. So why is it in Aramaic? So they wrote, when they wrote the Haggadah, the language Taisus Rid says, when they wrote the Haggadah, They wrote the Haggadah at that time. Where's the Taisus Rid here? He says, "M'sap Maramis l'chem m'sap m'loshna zeh." That 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 when they wrote the Haggadah, people spoke Aramaic. People didn't speak Hebrew. They didn't speak other languages. Even though all the Yidden they spoke Aramaic, just like in America today, most Yidden speak English, not Hebrew or Yiddish. I mean some, but but that was the language. The language of Eretz was. Aramaic. So when they wrote the Haggadah, they wrote this paragraph in Aramaic. Because this is critical. This you have to understand. You have to understand, because without this, you're not going to relate to the people that we're talking about. When you're talking about the rest of the Haggadah, Lashon Kodesh, so you're, you, maybe your grasp of Lashon Kodesh is not that great, and maybe some things you understand better, and some things you won't understand so well. It's okay. But this paragraph... This paragraph you must understand. You must understand, and because without this, you will never have an emotional connection. You're never going to regard our ancestors as as our babas and zaydas, the ones that we know, even though these we don't know. But you're not going to have that connection to them as your 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 living ancestors, of whom you really you really care about them, and you feel their pain. So some, when I speak about this sometimes, people say maybe today we should say it in English. And according to the Taisus Rid, that says that the reason why we say it in Aramaic is because people understand it, so maybe we should say it in English. Alright, I'm not going to get involved with that, but this is what I think that this paragraph means. I would like to conclude with a riddle that I'd like to ask. Uh, I ask people this riddle a lot, and uh, usually they don't know the answer. Um, the bunch of the Beit Seisi, I'll take them out of Mitzrayim. What was the actual act of taking them out of Mitzrayim? There were ten makas. The first nine makas didn't work. 
The tenth marker worked, Makas Bukhiris. So was the act of taking them out of Mitzrayim, when he says Vahitsesi, I'm gonna take them out, does that mean with Makas Bukhiris? Or does it mean with the entire ten Makas as one set, they're all one process, one ongoing process? So when he says I'll take you out of Mitzrayim, it means with all ten Makas. Well no, it doesn't mean all ten Makas, those were preliminary, so I say to, to show the Rekayach of the Rebbe of the world, but the actual Haitzaisi was only with Makas Bukhairas. This is a riddle that I'd like to ask. Maybe I should pause for five seconds to give you a chance. But anyway, <laughs> so the answer is, I think, that it's Machlaikas Tanoim. Where's Machlaikas Tanoim? It's in the Haggadah. It says, Vayetzienu Hashem in Mitzrayim. The God that we talk about, Hashem in Mitzrayim, because this is a psukim in Kisovay, which gives you, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a, a brief account of the. The whole God is based on on the on the um, vidui of Bikurim, because over there you have like you have like a, a short account of the Yitzias Mitzrayim. They go through all the pieces. So we say Vayitzienu Hashem in Mitzrayim. So we say Loyal de Malav Loyal de Sorov. Kashbarach Abbas Moi Varte Bratzrayim. You can't see Kol Pchor Bratz Mitzrayim. He says that this is uh, this is Bakas Bechayrus. You can't see Kol Pchor Bratz Mitzrayim. Then it says Biyot Chazaka, Biyot Chazaka. So a dever, Makas Bukhairis was a dever, it was a pestilence, they all died, it was an epidemic. What's the Kherev? The Kherev was the revolt, the Bukhairim the, the, the revolted, they said, here we're all going to die, so they revolted, and for one day there was a civil war in, in, in Mitzrayim, so Bezroin Tuyah means Zohacherev. And Moses are damned, there was bloodshed, you know, because it's all, it's all talking about Makas Bechiris. So it's Makas Bechiris. Says the Balagod, the Dovarachar, Biyot Chazoka Shtayim, Ebizorin Tui Shtayim, Ebmoyagodl Shtayim, Boysen Shtayim, Moysen Shtayim, Elu Eser Makas. This Pasuk is talking about all ten Makas. So the Tanakama says that this Pasuk is talking about Makas Bechiris. And the Tanabasra says, that is talking about all ten makas. The Yitzhienu is referring to all ten makas. Thank you very much, and I hope to see you next week.